Abraham, justified by faith. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it not after, but before he was circumcised? He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. The promise realized through faith. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and promise is void. For the law brings worth, wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. 
but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That was indeed a long one. Thanks for that. Thanks for uh, hanging in there and reading through that. It was um, looking at Romans 4. It was, I decided we had to read the whole thing. That's how it works. And um, so, good morning. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to share a little bit about Romans 4 with you this morning. And um, if you've been living under a rock, you would, um, you would not know that we're going through Romans at the moment, but most of you haven't, so you would know that we're looking at Romans. We're looking at the first eight chapters of Romans over the next eight weeks, um, looking at it as the power of the gospel, looking and understanding um, what it means for us and the power that it is to us. And um, so far, we've, we've, there's been heaps already. You know, In the first three chapters alone, there is so much that we've, uh, we've been able to discover and I've seen that Paul, <coughs> he's speaking to the church in Rome. He's, he's wanting to speak to them. In fact, he'd, he'd love to visit them. He wants to visit because he wants to share a spiritual gift. He, he desperately wants to share with them. He hasn't been there. He wants to hang out with them. He wants to bless them. He wants to be blessed by them and uh, share that spiritual gift. And, and the thing that's on his heart is the, the good news, the gospel, the power of salvation. He, he's excited about the fact that it is the power of salvation and that they really need to know that. Um, God's righteousness, in chapter 1, is God's righteousness revealed. That is kind of like this unveiling that you see that he wants to show God's righteousness for our salvation and how powerful it is. And it's really important as you, as you read on in the first few chapters, it's really important because he helps us to see that God's wrath is also revealed. Society isn't working well. Things are not going well. It's breaking up in Rome and there's so many aberrations. There's so many things that challenge that message of hope. And, uh, and the message of uh, and, and people's um, state of mind that the gospel is the only antidote. He says it's the only thing that has the power to save. And we discovered when we know how much we need salvation, it truly becomes good news. When we understand the wrath of God, when we understand um, why we need it, it is good news. And he goes on, uh, he's speaking to the Jews also because they thought they were okay. They thought their identity was something that was going to um, stand them in good stead, that this was not necessarily a message that they needed so much. But Paul shows them that no one is righteous, not even one. We Most of us know that scripture, don't we? You know, No one is righteous, not even one. We all fall short. But he finishes chapter 3, but now, good news, even without the works, the Jews depended on, perhaps even despite the, the works that Jews depended on, God's righteousness is now being revealed. We've gone from God's righteousness revealed to his wrath revealed and then back to see, but God's righteousness is revealed and it doesn't depend on works or the law. Paul is pretty passionate and he said a bunch of stuff in all three chapters already. So then we get to chapter 4 and I have to confess, I read chapter 4 and if you have a quick read of chapter 4, you kind of think it's, it's an interruption. It's an EG chapter. You know, here's what I've been saying. So, for example, there was this guy, blah, blah, blah. 
And that you're kind of tempted to, to maybe skip over it and then look at it. Oh, great example. And, um, and I thought to myself, well, great. I have to speak on chapter 4. How am I going to fill a sermon on chapter 4? I read it a few more times and, oh, my goodness, we could be here for a couple of weeks on chapter 4. So we're not even going to do it justice. But there is so much that Paul says in there. Even though it almost seems like a break, and um, it isn't. So what is it all about? It's, um, it's not a break. It's, in fact, it's a continuation of the end of chapter 3. It's kind of reinforcing what he said at the end of chapter 3, that God is not only the God of Jews, of the Jews, but also the Gentiles. That's one of the things. And its main purpose, the main purpose of chapter 4, is to show that God makes no distinction between Jews and Gentiles as far as salvation goes. And Paul's pretty, pretty cluey, he's pretty switched on because he strategically uses historical scriptures and, and characters like Abraham and David, if you noticed in there, to counter any protect, potential objections that the Jews might have. You see, for the Jews, Abraham was this kind of universal father figure. He was the one that, you know, um, he was talked about, he's our great father. He was the one that they looked at and the example that the Jews would use for other, for the rest of the families and, and Jews as they were growing up and as the community grew. And they often used him in the context of his obedience, um, his obedience with Isaac. There was a lot of oral history of telling the stories. Um, Abraham's observance of the law. You know, Father Abraham, he always observed this law and this law, and so we must observe that law. And in fact, if you study uh, modern Jewish um, tradition if you study the jews of today and and we even have them here in melbourne some of the jewish churches and some of the extreme jewish tradition they would still say that father abraham did this and that and so we should do that and so they used him as a kind of father figure for the law and even for circumcision and things like that but they used father abraham often to defend a works-based or an efforts-based salvation or the way to gain favor with God is by, like a father Abraham. So then this strategy that Paul would use was going to impact them. He thought it would impact them. Notice Paul talks a lot about the law in chapter 4, at least the second part. Why? Because the Jews used it all the time, but they used it incorrectly. They used it to hinder the message or to limit the message of salvation, to close the gate on those that, that weren't Jews or those that had not, did not have a historical uh, or didn't have a history of observance of the law. And they used the law incorrectly. And Paul wants to show that contrary to that tradition, Abraham was actually justified or made righteous, if you like, by faith because he believed, believed God and believed what God said. And he's going to show them that. Paul is so passionate about the gospel that same gospel he presented in chapter 1, and he wants to show that what he's saying now about salvation, what he's saying to them right there in the letter about salvation, about righteousness and about justification, is consistent with how God acted in history. He's not going to tell them something that's new, that God's going to do this this new way now, that he might have only done it by the law in the past. He's going to show them that, this, that there is a precedent, that God is consistent, and it was in history. So Paul might have a, you might think, well, that's a big ask for Paul. He, he's having to defend something he believes against a whole movement. And he knew that there would be at least a few raised eyebrows, if not outright arguments. So chapter 4, 
has some important themes even for us. And that's why it was important for us to look at it this week. It isn't just so that Paul can defend it to the Jews back in the Bible times. Because we can be a bit Jewish at times too, can't we? Um, we often make jokes about that with money and that. That's not what I'm talking about now. Now, we can be a little bit Jewish. We can hear the message of righteousness through faith. We can hear that message and we still want to work out our salvation. We still want to try to do it ourselves. We still want to depend on something that we can do or that we've always done or that our family or our parents have always done or what others might expect us to do or say. So what does Paul say? There's, there's a stack in here, but I wanted to focus on just a few things that I think are, are great things that Paul points out to the people of then, but that are things that we can sort of take and apply to ourselves as well. And the first one is, the first message is basically you can't do it. It's a gift for those who believe. That's what Paul's saying in there. And he uses scripture to prove it. And in verse 3, he does that. And he says, for what does the scripture say? And that, that's interesting that he says that. What does the scripture say? He's asking them because he knows that they know, that this is something they can't do, refute. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who, who works, his wages are not counted as a gift but as a Jew. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Our works don't credit our account with righteousness. It's our faith. And that was probably a really hard thing for the Jews to swallow. And I think sometimes it is for us as well. I'm thinking of myself and I'm thinking, oh, those Jews, they're crazy. You know, those Jews, they're always, you know, why don't they get it? And then I think the Holy Spirit sort of says to me, well, neither do you. You know, sometimes we have trouble swallowing that message as well. If you can earn it, you can demand it. It's a right that you have. But the gospel message is that salvation is a gift and it can only be accepted and embraced. Let me say that again. The gospel message of salvation is a gift and it can only be accepted and embraced. It can't be worked for, it can't be earned, it can't be made to happen. Righteousness can only be humbly accepted. You can't make it so. You can't add to it. You can't make it better. You can't make it more. You can't make it more true. How hard is it for you and I to grasp this or accept it? Because it's kind of like... It's way too easy, isn't it, when we say it like that? It sounds like, and I'm sitting there thinking, but that's too easy. Anyone else ever think that? Yeah, I'm the only one. Anyone ever think that's too easy? It just, you know, you just have to accept it and embrace it, you know? I've spoken to so many people, I'm not the only one, that, that would say the same thing. That's too easy, it can't be so. Because society teaches us from early on that performance equals belonging. Um, doing the right thing equals that, that you're okay. Uh, getting things right, uh, lifting your standing means that you're, that you're getting somewhere, that you're okay. The prize is for the hard workers and it's up to you and up to you only. We learned that in school. You know, you work hard and, and your education is dependent on you, especially when you get to high school. How many of you remember when you got to high school where you thought, oh, now I'm not getting ridden by teachers all the time. I've actually got to do homework. It depends on me. And then you hear people who go to university, all of a sudden they think, I've got way too much freedom here. No one's telling me I have to do stuff. 
Am I right? And depends on you. And so the message we have in society is that if you're going to get anywhere, if you're going to be somebody, it depends on you. And essentially there's no sin in hard work or effort. But hard work of effort and effort is you, isn't it? It's your work. You earned it. When we transfer that thinking to salvation and righteousness, that's when we make a mistake. And we believe that somehow we can make it happen. We believe that somehow the things that we do, the effort that we make, will make it happen. Well, the good news is that it's a gift. If you could make it happen, then you don't need God. We don't need God. We don't need a rescue plan. And Jesus becomes redundant. Praise God that we can't make it happen. We need Jesus. Our conscience is always reminding us that we need justification, and, and yes, we do. Try as we might, though, we can't do it. God, in his incredible mercy, reaches out with grace, gifting us with what we were hopelessly unable to do to save ourselves. You know, and, and, and the word says, and, 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 and the Bible says that Abraham, seeing nothing that he could do, decided to believe God and have faith in God and to embrace the impossible. And we need to do the same. So that's the first thing that I think Paul's saying. This. He, and he's saying it to the Jews, but I think he's saying that to us, that you can't do it. It's a gift and you just need to accept it. Another thing that I think Paul's saying is, and he's pointing out that it's initiated by God. And he, God that is, decides who. It's done before we can even respond. And, and I really like this. And this was probably also shocking but important for the Jews to hear. Paul uses the timeline for Abraham to prove this. And if you have a look at verse 10 and 11, I think we've got that up there. Uh, For how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them all as well. You know, we read this stuff and you've got to read it five or six times for it to have an impact. But here's what he's saying. He's saying righteousness, right standing and justification was credited to Abraham before he was circumcised. Now this is counter to the Jews who say that you, righteousness comes after you do something for God. And Paul is showing that it wasn't the case. That wasn't the case at all. In fact, in Genesis 15, God makes that covenant and promise with Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to treat you and call you righteous before me. And later in Genesis 17 was a circumcision. That was the follow-on. That was like a response, an act. And this would have been astounding for the Jews. Because they had used circumcision, and you see that in a number of other places in the New Testament. They had used circumcision to determine if you were saved or not, if you were righteous or not, or whether you could even be saved or not. Think about that. Circumcision became the sign whether you could be saved or not. So The Gentiles will kind of throw their hands up in hopelessness. Well, it's not going to work then, is it? A, we don't have that history. We haven't kept the law through those generations. So fail number one. B, we haven't been circumcised. So the door is closed and quite tightly shut to us. That would have been the message they had. And Paul's saying, not so. 
And I love this because it, it points that, that, that the reason that God did that, he says the reason that God did that is so that righteousness could be credited to those that haven't been circumcised, that it would be open to all. Paul showed that God's purpose for doing it in this order was to show that it was for all. And it's in verse 11, if you have a look at verse 11 up there, for the Gentiles as well. This was huge. This was big because now it opens the door to the fact that Jewish observances, Jewish culture, ethnicity, history or nationality does not limit access to God or salvation. It's for all. That's good news for us because I don't know how many of you have Jewish stock roots. So that's good news for every single one of you then, isn't it? Yes? Yeah, this would be yes and this would be no. That's how we're doing it today. That's really good news. And really, it's wonderful to see that. It's wonderful to see that, that Abraham's righteousness was not given to him after he did all the right things. It was credited to him because he believed God. And this was huge. Circumcision became an act of obedience and a sign of what God had already done. The promise didn't come through the action, but through faith. Verse 13 uh, shows us that if you have a look at verse 13, or it's not up there, but I'll read it to you. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. It did not come through the law of circumcision or any other law, but came through faith. The action was an obedience response to what God had done. And it's really interesting because it makes me think of the way that we do baptism. And I know that when we do baptisms, I share that up here. But I love the way that we do baptism because when parents come with their, with their child to be baptized, it's not sort of saying, here is our child. God, would you please accept this child and, and we're going to do our best. And would you, would you? It's actually the way we see baptism is baptism is a sign affirming and confirming what God has already done and said, this is my child. And as parents, we respond to that and say, yes, we stand with that. Similar here. What a good piece of news this is for us as well. God reaches out to us with the gift of salvation before we can even respond. Yet we are called to respond. Not to make it sure, but to display and engage our faith in what God's doing in our lives. To live in obedience to him. Abraham had a few tests. And even though he didn't pass them all, and he didn't see how things could possibly work sometimes, if we read his, uh, through his life. Just like we can't imagine how God could make things work, or we can't imagine how God can save us without our effort. Yet Abraham walked ahead into where God led by faith. There's so many things, ways that he did that. And we, that's another sermon. I don't have time to expand all that with Isaac and the nations, etc. <clears throat> So you can't do it. It's a gift for those who believe. It's initiated by God and he decides who. Paul is building his case here. And, another thing, and then the next thing he says is faith says that God is able to save and to do much more. Abraham's faith led him to believe that God was able to do what he said he would do, what he says he will do and what he promises. Verse 21 says he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Have you ever felt that? 
Have you ever been fully convinced that I know that I know that I know? I've sometimes looked, read Abraham and I thought, I am so jealous of you. Or am I the only one that does that too? He was fully convinced there wasn't a shadow of doubt. Oh, there's a whole other sermon, the whole... Mm. That faith in God was what made him righteous before God. Not that he was perfect, not that he got everything right, not that he did all the right things in all the right order, not that he observed all the laws and the sacrifices, but that he rested in who God said he was and what God said he would do. Abraham believed God, it says, and that's it. And that was the key. Abraham believed God. Believe. And this means that righteousness only comes through faith. In verse 16, that, and, and there's another <coughs> interesting verse where uh, Paul says, that's why it depends on faith in order that the promise might rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Would have been an amazing message for the Gentiles and for you and I. That it depends on faith. It doesn't depend on the law. That faith was the way, the door that was opened, and faith came to us through grace. See, the, the Gentiles had no history of the law. We have no history of observance of the law. Thank God that by faith. Paul quotes the Old Testament, and he says, And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he goes on to say those words were not only written for his sake, but for our sake too. I think I've got a, uh, another slide up. Yes, it's up there. Another, um, that for our sake too, verse 23 and 25. You know, I'm sitting there preparing this and I'm thinking, do I really believe that? Do we believe that? Do we, like Abraham, believe in the nature and character of God? Do we have faith in that? Do, do we believe the promises of God? Can we receive the assurance that God's promises rest on grace and not on our works? I catch myself believing it for five minutes and then figuring out how I can do the right thing again and make it so. Can we believe that God's promises rest on grace and not on our works and that they're guaranteed to those who believe? Abraham didn't see God's full plan with his own eyes. He didn't get to see the cross. He didn't see, and he probably couldn't imagine what was going to happen. But God would send his son Jesus to die and to be raised again in order to save us. You see, God came good on his promise to Abraham. Abraham might not have seen it, but we've seen it. We know it. And it was for you and I. So faith... Faith says God is able to save and he's able to do much more. And the last point that I, I wanted to pull out of it, and, there, and there, like I said, there's plenty more in there. I think Paul's saying believe in him. And I'll just explain what I mean in, in him. Like I said a little earlier, it seems a little bit too easy, right, sometimes for us. We'd sooner believe in ourselves, believe in our own can-do, our life experience, our education our money, our influence, we'd much rather lean on that. We'd much rather depend and believe that that's going to work because it feels better. It feels like we've got some level of control over it. Don't, don't, you know, and, and again, you know, is it just me or, or do we all like to control things? I do. Yet when it comes to righteousness or justification, 
we come up short. I do. There's, there's a hole. I can't. My money can't do it. My head and my experience, my education and my, my wisdom. I'm, you know, ask my wife. I'm very wise. No, don't ask my wife. I'm very wise. Can't. It, there's a hole. It, this, it, and, and so I've got to surrender, but surrender is hard. <laughs> I've got to realize that I, I can't and, and that I've got to surrender. I've got to believe in him. Do we believe that Christ is enough? That our righteousness isn't in us, but it is Christ himself. You see, when God sees Jesus' righteousness, he sees us. <coughs> not our sin, not our good works, but because of the cross. Do we have a faith that holds that as true? That when God sees Jesus, he sees me. This is a little bit interesting, and I'm going to explain it a little bit more. When Paul says in Romans 24, verse 22, that his faith is credited to him as righteousness, he doesn't mean to say that our faith is now, or that Abraham's faith was now righteousness, that somehow our faith is our righteousness. He means that our faith unites us to Christ so that his, Christ's righteousness, is credited to us. We don't possess righteousness. Christ possesses righteousness, and that's credited to us. It's not inside ourselves. Our righteousness is in Jesus, and we're credited with that. We become in God's eye who Christ is. And this is really hard to fathom. You see, God doesn't look at us and see a justified person or a righteous person. We're still black. Our, still, our lives are still unrighteous. Rather, to see our righteousness, he looks at Jesus, and he sees it. He sees me. That's why we say, that's why the Bible says, through Christ we are made righteous. There's a quote, and I've got it up there, and I've fixed up some of the language because, my goodness, it was really, really, really old-fashioned. It still is a little bit because I didn't want to ruin it. How many of you know John Bunyan? He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. This was not out of Pilgrim's Progress. But when I read this, and you'd probably have to read it a couple of times, all of a sudden the penny dropped a little bit more for me in terms of this uh, in, in him. And he says this, One day, as I was passing into the field, this sentence fell upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven. So he's talking about himself. This is a thought that came to me. My righteousness is in heaven. And I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There, I say, was my righteousness. So that wherever I was, or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, he lacks my righteousness, because it was just before him in Jesus. Moreover, I saw that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse, for my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself. The same yesterday, today and forever. And I love this second bit. Now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loosed from my afflictions and irons. My temptations fled away so that from that time those dreadful scriptures of God would no longer trouble me. Now went I home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. I know, you've got to read this a few times. 
But what, it's, what he's saying is, I was, I, I was troubled by Scripture. I was bad and I, was, I can't imagine how God could see me as righteous, but he doesn't. He sees Jesus. My righteousness is in heaven right before Jesus or right next to, right next to him in Jesus. And the freedom that came from that. So how should this affect our lives? The discovery of the credited righteousness of Christ to us is the greatest life-changing experience we can ever have. It was for John Bunyan. Bunyan, for John Bunyan, it was the end of years of spiritual torture and uncertainty. If you read around that, he was troubled by the fact that he couldn't grasp this whole concept. He was troubled by the fact that Scripture kept condemning him, that he kept living in guilt, that he kept being uh, uh, felt locked up by his sin. For Bunyan, this revelation was the end of years of spiritual torture and certainty. I read some stuff on Luther. Luther had a similar revelation somewhere, and he said it was like entering a paradise of peace with God when I understood this. Who doesn't want that? What would you give to know for sure that your acceptance and approval before God was as sure as the standing of Jesus Christ, his son? free this is what jesus christ came to do and that's what paul's at pains to talk about to fulfill a righteousness to die a death that would remove all your sins all my sins and he would become for you and for me a perfect righteousness he offers you this today as a gift and to me if you see him as true and precious, if you take the gift and trust in it, you will have a peace with God that passes all understanding. You'll be a secure person. You won't need the approval of others. You won't need the support of wealth or power or revenge. You won't need systems or procedures or norms. You'll be free. You will overflow with love. And you'll lay down your life in the cause of Christ the joy that's set before you just like jesus did look to christ and trust him for your righteousness that's what paul's saying recognize that it's in him it isn't in you there's nothing you've done that's in him this is an amazing message um, for the jews to hear might have sent them into discussion for perhaps weeks and and months afterwards, the Gentiles, it was such good news. And Paul knew that the passion of Christ was to reach every single soul. And that his death was for every single one of us. Do you believe it? Do you know that? Do we believe it? Do you think that Christ is enough? What would you give to know that your acceptance and approval was as sure as the standing of Jesus Christ, his son? Because it is. That's what the cross says. That's what Jesus did. You know, we're going to celebrate Lord's Supper this morning, and I want to celebrate it right now because that's what we remember, that we gather together. We're not Jews. We gather not because we've all been circumcised or had been adherents of the law or done the right sacrificial uh, systems. We're here because of Christ, because of the cross. We're here because Jesus died for our sins and that God has... Has, has seen us as righteous through his son, Jesus Christ.
And when we celebrate Lord's Supper, that's what we remember. Remember that Christ was willing to go through that. Christ was willing to do that so that we would be righteous. So that, that, the, that what was blocking us from the Father would be taken away. That we'd be free, free to be who we were called to be. And I think that, you know, I often think that when Jesus had the first supper and he, um, and, he's, and he was there reclining with the disciples, I'm almost convinced they had no idea of the impact of what was about to happen. That they probably heard him speaking and thought, oh, this is one of Jesus' nice things that he talks about. They had no idea of the power of what he was saying. But he kept saying, remember and believe, remember and believe. And that's a good thing in my life. You know, I get into the week, I'll get into tomorrow, and I'll start working for my righteousness. And I know that you will as well. And I'll start, my mind will start thinking that I've got to earn this, or I've got to do this, or I've got to be the right person. Or people need to see me as the right person. I'll go into that next week. But Jesus says, remember and believe. And I've got to train myself to remember and believe, not just once a month when we do Lord's Supper, but every day. Remember and believe that his body was broken, his blood was shed for the full forgiveness, complete forgiveness of all my, all my sins so that I would be righteous. Do you believe it? If you do, I'm going to invite you to celebrate with us. And Jesus, when he was, had um, prayed and had the supper, he broke the bread and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body broken for you. And I can imagine the stunned onlookers thinking, what? Remember and believe, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Get together and do this to remember what I did. And then he took the cup after they had done that and he, he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember me when you do this together. And we're called to do the same. If you know Jesus, if you know that his death and resurrection was for you, if you, want to, if you remember and believe that you belong to Jesus, you're invited to celebrate with us. I'm just going to ask our leaders to, to come on up and we're just going to create two, um, uh, two places down the sides here that you can come and collect the elements and, and grab the elements and, and go back to your seats and then we're going to remember and believe together. We're going to remember and believe that we were made righteous, that we now have righteous standing before God. Believe that the body of Christ was broken for the full and complete forgiveness of all our sins and to give us righteousness. And remember that his blood was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Paul says later in um, a few chapters further to the Romans in his letter to the Romans, he said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's us, that's you and me. For the law of the spirit of life 
has set you free. No longer the law of the Jews, but the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could never do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus did what the law was not able to do. That was what Paul wanted to explain. That's what we need to understand. Do you believe it? What you try to do, you're unable to do. Jesus did what you are unable to do. Praise God. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you that truth is so powerful. And I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray for myself and for each one of us here for that to sink in. And I realize that it takes... Uh, it sinks in a little bit, then it kind of leaks and, and, and vision leaks and I leak. And God, I pray that you would continue to remind us, continue to help us to understand the truth of who you are and what you did. Lord, that we would be daily more like Abraham and believe, just believe. Lord, I pray that you would grow my faith, that grow our faith, that you help us to rest in you even more. And to understand more and more what it means to belong to you. What it means to be made righteous. Lord, not so that we would be warm and sit in holy huddles and, um, and wait for heaven to come. But that we would go out with power. Knowing that this, as Paul was at pains to point out, is a message for all. Help us to be the heralds of that message in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to pray with somebody, I'm just going to invite the worship team to come on up and close with us. If you'd like to pray with somebody uh, or talk to somebody, there will be people that would love to pray with you, love to talk with you. Um, if you think, well, you know, I don't want to go down to the front there and, and talk to any of them because they're not my friends or for some reason, good or otherwise, find someone and have a talk to them. Pray with somebody. Pray for somebody. You know, sometimes maybe you think, well, I don't really feel like I need any prayer but God's always pulled you to pray why don't you just walk up to someone and say hey can I pray for you today I guarantee they won't say no I guarantee it not many guarantees in life but I guarantee that I dare you for the sake of Christ